So we, we ended this series uh, last week, the sermon series called um, Jesus Community, and talked about how Jesus washes the disciples' feet um, in John 13 and honors them. He honors them by uh, humbling himself, washes their feet. And one of the things I talked about is, uh, do we see that happening in the church? Is the church kind of surprising our world with its attitude and its uh, actions towards others? And I'm sure in parts of the world that is happening, um, but there's probably a lot of work to do. And so that whole series is, what does Jesus community look like? And so on the heels of that, it's probably good to talk about church, and uh, particularly North Harbor. But before we get to North Harbor... um, I just want to lay down a couple weeks of just some foundational questions. You know how I love questions. And so um, we're going to talk about um, some questions for us to think about that will be applicable to yourself and your own uh, walk with God, your own relationship with God, but also things to think about in terms of church and what is church, what should it look like. Uh, when, I got to, when we got to Lent, the season of Lent in 2020, um, <clears throat> Lent is a season where we identify with the sufferings of Jesus, and we will often fast from something for 40 days um, as a way of entering into that time uh, together with Christ. And so we got to the season of Lent, and I, I'm asking myself, uh, you know, where am I at with Lent? What, do I, what am I going to give up this year? And I didn't want to just give up like coffee or whatever. I, I, I was really trying to think about where am I at with Lent? You know, this season where we honor God in this, in this idea. And I thought, I've told this story, everyone chuckles. I, I, wanted to, I wanted to give up snapping at the kids so much and being uptight. So I thought, okay, where am I at with family? And then it's, you know, you just, the ball starts rolling. Once you start thinking, where am I at with Lent? And I'm like, okay, where am I at with family? Why do I want to keep, you know, not snapping at the kids? And um, then I'm like, why am I just so controlling at home? You know, that we're in a time during pandemic where we feel very much out of control. And so now I'm like, okay, where am I at with this idea of control, trying to control things in a time where it's just out of control, which leads to the question, where am I at with faith? You know, how come I'm not living out with faith? So every, it's like a, you know, Lent was like the tip of the iceberg or the outside of the, uh, of the onion, and you start peeling it back, and you're like uh, uncovering these layers of things I just hadn't thought about. And... Um, I was talking with a bunch of pastors recently, and I experienced this as well, that during that pandemic, uh, the waste grew because there was, there was more beer involved. And that was one of those things. Where am I at with this? And what am I turning to to try to numb the senses or trying to gain some kind of control um, over my life, right? And it, it opened up all these questions. And so that's what we want to... We want to do, and we're going to start very generally. We'll talk about North Harbor in the next few weeks. But when it comes to our brokenness, um, I believe God is asking us. I think this is a question that's always uh, there with us. Where are you? Where are you at with? Where are you at with family? Where are you at with school? Where are you at with uh, finances? Where are you at with your, your mental health? Where are you at with your physical health? And that idea of, you know, peeling the layers down that, you know, inside that onion to get to the, the root um, it takes a bit of work, and that question hopefully gets us to stop and think about it, ask us. Um, I think oftentimes, at least what I was experiencing through that pandemic up until Lent, is I was just going, 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 
and not taking the time to ask myself, where are you at? Um, and so it's a question that, um, that we must be able to answer, and it demands our attention. Where are we at? So we're going to go to one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Um, you know you only need about to turn two pages to get there. The book of Genesis. Uh, where are you is our first question ever in the whole book. And it's a fascinating story on how we get there. This is an origin story, okay, an origin tale. And I'm going to refer to it as a story. The ancient Israelites did not have contemporary science like we do. And uh, I would approach it as a story about humanity. And so that is a very powerful stance to take because now it doesn't become a story just about two ancient people. It becomes a story about me and it becomes a story about you and everyone else. This is a story about humanity. It's certainly fine to believe in seven days of creation, uh, but I, the ancient Hebrews didn't have the same kind of uh, technology and science that we have today, and they do their theology through storytelling. Jesus does this all the time. There is no Good Samaritan. If you go to Israel and they want to take you to the Good Samaritan Inn, don't pay any money for that, because it's a parable. It's a story, okay? But it's a very powerful story. And a very powerful, um, a lot of things to learn from that story. So, you know, every once in a while in the Marvel Universe, we get these origin stories. How did things start? You know, I, I, I was trying to think of Marvel, but the only one I could come up with was Joker recently, not too many years ago. The joke, the origin story about the Joker. How did we get here? How do we get to this point? How did I get to this point at Lent 2021 where I started asking these questions? What brought us how is our world uh, broken the way it is, and how do we understand it? How do we navigate that? Um, it's designed to help orient us to the world. And it, it's very powerful when we peel back the layers of this story. Um, <clears throat> it offers us an, an opportunity to think differently, to think differently. So verse 1, we up until this point, God has created... The heavens and the earth has created humanity um, and has given humanity some basic instructions. There's two trees, one that leads to life, one that leads to death. And so we pick up the story in verse 3. It says, the serpent comes along and he's the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day, there's a, there's a word, there's a, there's a, oh, what do you call it, a word play going on here. Uh, when we hear about the, just before this, the verse before this, we are told that the that humankind is naked and unashamed, which I don't believe really has to do with being naked with no clothes on. It has to do with being vulnerable. And that term is, uh, it's like arum uh, or something like that, and this, or aramim. And the serpent is the wisest, Arum, of all the animals. There's a rhyme on those words. And so there's sort of a, the, the narrator is setting up a sort of dueling of the wits. Who's going to win out on this uh, battle between uh, creation and humanity? One day, the serpent asked the woman, Did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden. And so here we have the question. 
Did God really say that? What does God really say? So I'm coming to Lent, and I'm just thinking it's Lent. It's just a season of the church. It's one of those celebrations we do where I think about giving something up and identifying with Jesus. This is what the Bible tells us to say. And this poses this, makes us stop. Say, does this really say, did God really say that? Did God really say that? Um, It gets us to stop and question God and self, and, you know, where are we at? Again, that question, where are we at? We have this question. And so maybe Eve wasn't even thinking of that. Maybe the hu- humankind wasn't even thinking about that. Where are we at? What does God really say? They're probably just going along, living in this beautiful garden that God has given. And we have the answer. Of course, we may eat every fruit from the tree in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden, that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Now, Eve traditionally gets a really bad rap here because she's talked about as misquoting God. God never said anything about not touching the tree. I don't think that's quite the right reading here. Uh, in Jewish tradition, uh, particularly with like using the name of God, um, they would put other names in there. They were trying to be extra careful not to say that name. Uh, in fact, sometimes they refer to God as the name. When they come to the name, they just say the name. You know, they don't say the <laughs> That doesn't make sense. They don't, they say name, in quotes. They say the name, may the, uh, anyway. They're trying to go an extra measure to be careful. And I wonder if that's what Eve is doing here. She's going that extra measure to be very careful about this rule that's been given. And then we have this statement by the serpent. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so here we have this deception. And we often talk about this character as Satan, but it's, it's a serpent. And in these ancient uh, creation stories, there's usually someone who plays the role of a trickster trying to fool us. And I think what's, again, if this is a story about orienting our lives uh, around uh, the world and understanding what the world's all about, I think what we're getting a picture here is that question where we just say, ah, is this, is this really, do we really want to do this? Maybe this isn't in my best interest. Maybe someone else is not in my best interest. Maybe I'm being tricked here. And, you know, as it goes on, it does look good. It does smell good. I think it'll help me out. There's all this questioning going on, this questioning in our minds. Like, is it so bad to do this after all? Um, It's deception. The act of causing someone to accept as true or valid What is false or invalid? So at some point in the year, as I'm approaching Lent, and we're dealing with distancing and masks and vaccines and ventilation and making sure everyone's safe and feeling the stress, I begin to believe that as I try to keep control of my world, that it's actually working. Right? That's deception. I begin to question. Faith. 
is trusting in God. Trusting in, and I guess you got faith in anything. You get a faith in the New York Giants. That is very ill-founded faith. We're not going to do that. Um, but we get a faith in just about anything. But I was placing my faith in something that wasn't going to help whatsoever. And that's what is going on in Eve's mind right now. She's beginning to question it. Eve was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful. Its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it as well. I remember um, in my studies in college, in, psych- in a number of psychology classes, hearing about this study that was done where uh, the person conducting the study had a bunch of students, most of whom were in on the study. They knew what was going on. And a few did not. They were the ones that w- they were kind of studying to see what, what they would do in this situation. And the situation was they were going to hand around these cards that had a certain color on it. It might be green. And the professor was going to ask every student that goes around, what color is on there? And the majority of the, people, of the students who were in on it were going to say pink, even though it's not pink, to see what would happen to those people who didn't know. And sure enough, when it gets to the other people, there's this group think that starts to happen. Now, it might be just this simple, I don't want to be the odd person out, or it might be this situation where maybe I don't really understand what pink and green is, but these students that were in the minority would start saying what everyone else would say. And so here we have this sort of group think that happens, and it, it comes off as just Adam and Eve, but he's with her. But this deception begins to grow. And it becomes a human problem. right? Adam means humanity. Eve means life. This is a story about human life. <laughs> we, we got problems, yeah. And so this deception grows, and it grows, and it grows. And if we're going to start talking about North Harbor and our values and our vision and all that, we've got to stop and say, where are we? Because uh, do we really understand what church is all about? Have we gotten involved in some sort of group think? Right? Um, I read this article the other day about, it was a doctor, a neurological scientist, uh, who was talking about that we are killing ourselves um, because of the amounts of dopamine in our system. That every time we pick up a video game, we look at our phone, we pull up a screen, we're just entertaining ourselves to death. There's this group think that this is what's going to make me feel better. Netflix is the answer for stress. Right? That's group think. And it's group deception. And that's what happens here. It just spreads and spreads. And so part of the question I want to raise is, you know, what, what is church? Have, what, have we bought into some lie? Have we said, did God really say? Did God really say this? And we're listening to someone say, yeah, you know, it's, it's not so bad if you do this, and it's not so bad, and this is the way it should be, and this is, have we got into some sort of group thing? Um, so at that moment, Verse 7, their eyes were opened. 
And they were suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves up. And it's interesting that it says their eyes were open, which is an issue of knowledge. But it goes on to say they felt shame. There's an emotion. There's a feeling involved. And I wonder if they don't quite really know what it is. It doesn't say that they understood it was shame. It just said that they reacted in shame. And so they start covering themselves up. They're feeling something. And we're starting to do something to manage that feeling. It doesn't really point out that they acknowledge that it was actually shame. And so there's this management that goes on. And whether it's, you know, diving deeper into the bottle or trying to gain control, um, trying to tighten up the ship in a time where we feel like there's a lack of control, where things seem out of control, sometimes we're doing things that we just don't know what we're doing. And so when I read this, I think, gosh, this is fascinating, because this is a very human thing. When we take the time to stop and think about it, that they're moving forward without even really understanding the consequences of their actions. And so they're hiding. They're hiding. And that's what we're doing if we're turning to alcohol to numb the pain, if we're turning to work to numb the pain, if we're turning to Netflix to numb numb the pain, if we're turning to technology to, to find the answers, that there's this running to something to try to manage something we can't really put our fingers on. And here's our question. I guess this isn't the first question. The first question was the, the serpent. Where, you know, did God really say this? But here's God's first question to humanity. <clears throat> when the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. And so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Where are you? Now, when you ask a question, it kind of forces you to stop if you're really going to answer it and think about it. And here's the thing. I don't think God is really wondering where they are. So why ask the question? Why ask the question? Because you need to think of the answer. I need to think about what the answer is. They have to answer it. Where are you? And that's, I think, as good a starting point as any. (laughs) Where are you? In talking about the church. Where are we at? Let's start with us as individuals. Then we ask the church, where are we at? So think about it in terms of um, your family, your mental health, your physical health, your relationships with people, our relationship with God. Where are you? Right? And if we stop and ask a question, you know, it's a call to notice, it's a call to pay attention, it's a call to wonder and dream, perhaps, 
to stop and be still or to think. And I think that, at least for me, I don't ask that question enough because I'm scared to answer the question. I don't want to admit admit that I was wrong or I was deceived or come to that knowledge that I had all this wrong. I want to believe that we got it right. That hiding in the bushes is exactly where I was meant to be. (laughs) It's not. It's not. So he called to the man, where are you? And he replied, he's when you have to answer the question. He replied, I heard you walking in the garden. So I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. So there's an issue of vulnerability. But that vulnerability scares us. They're created to be vulnerable and open and to live harmoniously with one another and with the environment, the world, with themselves, with each other, and with the the world and God. But you have this hindsight. Now he stopped to ask the question and he looks back and you have hindsight. I even looked up hindsight. The full knowledge and complete understanding that one has about an event only after it has happened. I hid because I feel vulnerable. I feel out of control. I feel like I'm going to get hurt. And so I hid. And there's this finally this acknowledgement. And so we have an origin story here about humanity. This is a story about humanity. It's a story about all of us. That we do this in some way, shape, or form. We try to manage our vulnerabilities, those places where we feel weak, where we feel hurt, where we feel like we don't, we're not enough, that we're junk. We try to manage it, and we do it in all sorts of ways. And if we're going to be a church that stops to look at God and to look at creation and see what God has designed for us, We have to be able to stop as individuals, as followers, as disciples, and ask this question, honestly. And it's not like all the answers are horrible. It's not like we're all going to come up with bad answers that we need to fix. We have some great people here who have some incredible gifts, who are an absolute joy to be around and have some incredible skills. Those are answers to the questions as well. So as individuals, we need to stop and ask this question. We need to pay attention to questions. And as a church, I want us to be praying. This is the homework, okay? To ask this question and to ask this about church. Okay? Did God really say, and we think of what church is, and we think of what it always has been for us and our family, or for America, or for the world, this is what church is. Did God really say this? Or, you know, is the temptation to say, you know, eh, Let's think of it this way. And we look at that way and we think, oh, that looks good. That'll make me wise. That'll... And we get deceived. And so we have to stop and ask this. And so as a community, I'm asking that the church pray over this. That we come together and pray over this question. Where are we? Where is the church? We'll move forward with two more questions in the book of Genesis next week. 
that move us a bit more forward. But where are you? Where are we? Can we do that? Yep. Yeah? Um, and we can do it together. <laughs> um, we've got a little bit of time. Oh, by the way, one thing to look at, one thing I've been looking at as I'm trying to ask this question, what did God really say? I think I've been coming back to Acts 2.42. The church is born, is brand new, and we have this summary statement. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And when they say sharing in meals, I believe this would be included as sharing in the needs that each other's have. We, we know from other books that meals and food and all that, some people were getting left out. Um, so taking care of one another. The apostles' teaching to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. And so maybe that's a good one to look at when we ask, when we're, we feel that question come at us, did God really say? Well, we have it here in Acts 2.42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, and to prayer. So let's pray. Let's close in prayer. Um, I, lately, I've been feeling like this would be a good thing to do for us as a group. We did it last week. Uh, no one is forced to pray. We don't ask that all pray. But as you feel led, let's pray. And let's pray over this question, however you feel led. Where are you? Where are you as a church? Where are you as a family? Where are you as an individual? Where are you as parents, as kids, as students? The whole thing. Can we do that? Okay.